the box is back in town. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns with a boxing edition as we never go whack on an old school track. Thanks to the secret sauce that is the performance enhancing audio. Yes, this is how we do it on the ITC. And the Brian Campbell is in fact the voice that you hear back to remind you exactly what this show is called in this corner. Yes, say it with me in this corner. I'm telling you in this corner. Welcome to in this corner, the boxing panel discussion. Hey, Chris Maddox. Thank you very much. That is what I'm talking about. And more than one full year into the game as your go-to boxing panel discussing show, the ITC has yet another loaded episode for you. Looking back on the weekend that was in the sweet science, including pound-for-pound king Vasily Lomachenko making history yet again and looking ahead to a fun weekend of fights. Headlined by a Showtime doubleheader featuring Adonis Stevenson and Badu Jack for the light heavyweight championship of the world. Badu Jack, the Ripper himself, will join us on today's broadcast to preview the fight. Once again, this is another episode you simply won't want to miss. Brought to you by the guys who know this game when it comes to Boxdeo. Speaking of shot callers, ballers, and even brawlers, let me welcome in a man who is no stranger to hashtag load watch in 2018. So he shot his load, let him shoot his load, and then down the stretch do what we do best. When did you think that the fight was starting to turn when he shot his load and you could come at him? When he shot, he started shooting his load. Hey, he's an internationally renowned writer, editor, Filipino TV icon, the author of the weekly Respect Box newsletter. I respect box. I respect everybody. I... And the protector of all things cruiserweights, the great Big Red. <laughs> Yeah, Rafe Bartholomew, my boxing broham. How is it on the left coast? Oh my God, Brian! It is so good to be in this corner yes. with you today, with Brian Campbell in this corner. That's where I live. That's my field house. That's where I drop my loads of chenko. No wow. mas, no mas. Wow. I can't do no more. Load watch is done. Wow. We have had some people on Twitter saying, exit load watch. Get me out of this conversation. I don't want to be here. You know, I was considering calling this podcast the fight game with Jim Lampley, but I thought, you know, It could work. I think, you know, in today's, you know, meta postmodern media landscape, it really could work. Great points altogether. Hey, Rafe, I was at a (laughs) boxing match on Saturday at the Mecca, the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. And I don't think we should fool around with any more pleasantries, but get right into the business on this loaded show because the pound for pound king himself, Vasily Lomachenko, Pulled out yet another, wow, yet another historic performance by moving up to lightweight to stop long reigning champ Jorge Linares via 10th round TKO for the WBA 135 pound title. Rafe, this was way more exciting than I think a lot of us figured it could be. I think a lot of us were thinking, look, either Vasily's going to do another whitewash, 
you know, maybe he's got some hurdles to overcome. This turned out to be one heck of a fun back and forth fight. I'm going to throw the lob to you right away. Your biggest takeaway. Oh man. Uh, my biggest takeaway, man. Thank you, Jorge Linares for, for showing that, you know, you can't just say, Oh, his name is Vasily Lomachenko. So he will make everyone quit and everyone will lie down before his greatness. This was an awesome fight. And, you know, Linares showed that, that if, especially if Lomachenko thinks plans to keep going up in weight in his career or just stay at lightweight where he will face some bigger guys. He will have to win fights. Not that he wasn't winning fights uh, against other really, really good fighters who he made quit, whether it be Guillermo Rigondeau or all these other guys. But still, that it's just not a given. You can't just say, oh, well, he's Lomachenko. It's over. It's a wrap. Um, oh, it's a great fight. And this was, you know, this is... I mean it. I know people will say you can't call everything a great fight. There were, but this had momentum swings. The, the, the level of boxing was so fun to watch. The, it, it was, it was, I don't know. It was, it, it, I enjoyed it enough to call it great. I had a great experience watching it. You called it great because it was great. This is the BC type of field house fight of high speed chess, right? This was, De La Hoya Mosley won-esque in my mind because the craft was really there in what they were doing, yet they were doing it at such a high volume, high level that it became exciting. You really have to go back and watch some of these sequences to really appreciate Lomachenko's brilliance as the smaller man, because what you mentioned off the top, Linares made this a great fight because even especially that knockdown in the sixth round, came at a point where the momentum was really out of his hands. It was going in the wrong direction. You started to say, look, this guy's going to get stopped on cuts or swell swellness soon because the fight is not going his way. And he never stopped coming. And that forced Lomachenko to show us those championship-level adjustments. And Rafe, the, the genius of Lomachenko, the physical creativity, the feints he would do to get off these combinations to the hard work just to get off clean shots that he would do was breathtaking. You know, this was not just bang and exchange. You know, I mean, we know that we got to bang him, but this was not bang and exchange. I mean, this was like beautiful brilliance back and forth calculations, fakes, feints, ducking, changing levels. I mean, everything about it was just breathtaking. Absolutely, Brian. And it's true. I mean, we kind of make fun of sometimes the uh, boxing internet Zapruder film guys, the breakdown experts who will to put everything in slow motion, kick up some of the Beethoven or the, the Mingus, you know, whatever classy music you want to put, put in some old like silent film intertitles and try and break everything down for you. But Lomachenko actually is a fighter who you, you who is, who is worth watching and you almost feel like you need to watch in slow motion to see not only how he's setting up shots, how he's changing the, you know, the different ways in which he uses his jab, which was amazing. And something I thought was really great that Tim Bradley said right in the first round said the way, look at the way Lomachenko will, you know, sometimes paw with his jab. Sometimes he's snapping it. Sometimes he's throwing it at different speeds. He's doubling it up, tripling it up, doing all these things. And then all of a sudden, He'll, he'll, you know, he'll faint it and, and there's something else coming at you. And that's almost exactly how he ended up getting that fight ending liver oh. shot 
in the in you know in Let's the tenth talk round. About that finishing and, uh, sequence good there. God! You want to uh, take everything brilliant that Lomachenko does and put it into one sequence? He, I didn't see it with the naked eye, man. I did not see it with the naked eye. I was like, "What did he fall down from?" He essentially landed an eight punch unanswered combination. It wasn't one fluid combination, but it was a series of punches. And you talk about the brilliance. There were paw jabs in there, but everything landed, and everything was for a purpose that would set up him sliding to the side to land another shot. The lead uppercuts during that eight punch stretch to just stun Linares. And basically, by throwing from so many crazy angles in one session, one forward motion, he basically froze Linares to set him up for what was the left hook to the liver that finished him off. That type of, like, matrix brilliance, it's just, it's absurd, Rafe. It really is absurd because Linares, we knew hand speed coming in. We knew combination-wise he was actually on the Lomachenko level. And when you add in that he was longer and bigger I mean, a beautiful man and a beautiful boxer. This was going to be a tough challenge. He put every trick, every every ounce he had. He poured out the jar. Yet Lomachenko was that much better. Rafe, it's different when Lomachenko is going to go in against the Nicholas, the Axeman type guys, the sluggers, and he's going to just disarm them and pull the air out of the balloon, and you're going to be like, wow, this guy's awesome. But even when he does that, it leaves open the critics, the haters, the naysayers. I think a performance like this against Linares, who has that high level of craft, removes the haters. Now, in reality, it didn't. The haters were out <laughs> full force because they're talking about how vulnerable now Lomachenko looked because of the knockdown. They're missing what really happened in this fight. Brilliance from Linares, but extra brilliance from Lomachenko to raise the ante at every turn. And then ultimately, him getting knocked down, it shows you he's human. It shows you 135 is a bridge too far. Not too far that he can't compete, but too far that against the elite, it's going to be hectic. It's going to be real fights. And, you know, Lomachenko said it himself afterwards. He's doing the job of his promoter. This will bring in more opponents and more fights where he could not get those names at 26 and 30. We should have saw Lomachenko against every big name, the Morrises, the the Santa Cruzes, the Framptons. We didn't, right? 30 is kind of a dead division, not a lot of big names outside of Gervonta. 35 is where the business and the money is, and right now, he can compete on this level. He's going to have to work for it, but this is great stuff. I mean, he's a dare-to-be-great dude. This is how it would have to be for a guy who wanted to fight for a title in his pro debut. Absolutely, and I don't even think that getting knocked down or being in a close competitive fight and and rally and sort of, I don't know if you call it a rally back, but but getting through the knockdown to to knock out Linares himself. Getting into that kind of fight with Jorge Linares does not suggest to me that he is a vulnerable fighter against a lot of almost everyone else he could possibly face in his career at this moment. Um, you know, there there are really only one or two guys in the realm of realistic possibilities who 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 you could say, okay, what we saw there, I could see this guy Maybe Lomachenko will be vulnerable. And of course, we're basically, I don't know why I'm dancing around Mikey Garcia's name, but that's the only Dance. name really. Everybody else, I mean, Linares is that good. And Linares showed it. You know, Linares had always looked like he had those skills, but obviously he had that spot, spot that, that run earlier in his career when he, he kept getting knocked out. His face kept falling off and he, we thought he might be done. Built himself back up, but not against Lomachenko level or even that close. He was beaten tough. British contenders um, who fought near or at the world level. All right, good. He looked good doing it. Um, but here he was in the fight of his life, basically fighting almost even with the guy everyone believes may be this gener- – has the look of this generation's best fighter. So 
fighting on near even terms with that guy getting a knockdown, that doesn't say that just says Linares is has the talent that we all always believed he yes. had and he fought with it this time. Doesn't say, tell me that that Vasily Lomachenko is is vulnerable. No, it tells us this about Linares. You're a, you're, you're a quality operator, a quality bloke, a quality fighter. Absolutely. Uh, so before we get to the Mikey Garcia conversation, and that's the natural segue right here, I want to say this: a lot of there were there were some hipsters online coming in who were slow to want to give Lomachenko the, the number one pound for pound. Look, I clearly had him number one pound for pound coming in. Certainly this performance just cements that. I don't get how people can be this far behind on seeing this. Yes, if you prefer Bud, or even if you prefer Triple G, if your pound for pound top ten is a little bit more on rewarding, I guess, uh, you know, rewarding accomplishments than really taking a pulse of the moment, I guess I don't hate on that. But there were a lot of people coming in who were like, well, hold on, Lomachenko's not really that guy. Who is he beat? It's like... I hope this is the last time that people need to wake up and see that this isn't just the best fighter in the sport. No matter what happens from this point forward, he is a special, all-time, rare, unique fighter. I'm saying that right now. Even if he goes out there and loses to Mikey, and we're going to have that discussion in 30 seconds, right now he has done enough in 12, 13 fights to show you, like people are already saying online, like, is he already a Hall of Famer? I don't even want to have that discussion now. I'm just saying in 13 fights or 12 fights, who else has done this the quickest to three titles and three divisions? And then some of the names that he's taken out, these are not bums, right? Rocky Martinez, Nicholas Walters, Lomachenko. I know exactly what you're trying to say. They ain't nobody. He just made them look like nobody. Yes. Y'all must have forgot. Yeah, that, oh my God, that's so fantastic right there. I mean, it's just like, if you don't, if you don't know what you see, turn off your station. Just feels so good. So it's like, let's get that stop. Open your eyes, smell the coffee. This is a special human being. We don't have to spend two hours telling you that, but just everybody wake up and realize this is not a normal man, okay? He has these special once every 25, 30 years abilities like Roy Jones had a generation before where you're just like, nobody's like him. Nobody played that song before, right? Jimi Hendrix didn't play chords and notes. He played colors. Lomachenko's playing colors out there. I mean... He can hear Jimmy. I mean, this is just, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Somebody slipped me a a Jimmy. Yes. (laughs) All right, Rafe. Now we got to have the Mikey Garcia conversation because, like I mentioned, Lomachenko is a little bit human at 35. Everybody who moves up in weight so drastically, even a Manny, eventually is going to hit that point where you're like, whoa, I don't think Lomachenko has the Manny power as he rises in weight class. I think it's a little bit more about volume and technique. Manny was too. Let's not deny that. But Manny still had that one punch, get Ricky Hatton out of their type of power. So Mikey Garcia is the ultimate challenge at 135. And this is a fight we must, we must see this, Rafe. We must, Rafe. We must see this fight. I am so damn fired up. This is my Super Bowl. This is the only fight I want. You can tell me right now we never, ever see Joshua Wilder, and I'll say I am fine with that. You could tell me now, shout out to the Irish crew, that Tyson Fury never right, comes right. back. Hey, oh! Oh, yeah, let's, get, let's just pause and get into this. Here we go. I said, Take a punches like Mike Tyson. Bruno! Give it to your bro like a hardcore porno. So Rafe, even if you tell me we're never getting those fights, 
but I'm getting Loma Mikey. Sign me up. Put it. Let me rub it on the gums right now. Ryan, I really, really hate to uh, just just hold on to that load for a long time because I'm I'm reading today's today's boxing news, hitting up Bad Left Hook, CBS, uh, boxing boxing scene, all the sites, and you're already seeing. Aram, uh, you know, Bob Aram, top ranks, CEO, promoter for, for Vasily Lomachenko. You're already seeing Bob Aram say, pump the brakes. This could be this generation's May pack. We're not seeing this anytime soon. There, you, I saw headlines last night. They're already sort of laying the tracks for a unification. Uni. I want unification. I do not want unification of Vasily Lomachenko and Ray Beltran. No. I'm sorry. No. And guys, if you do make that unification, because they're both under top rank, please, please, please do not run back the Ray Beltran needs to win to, to get his visa, because that is going to be really goddamn cruel, because he uh. is no way in hell winning that fight. Do not bring that storyline back if you're going to put him through that fight. Just pay him and do not bring up anything. Hey, did you see what Bob Arum said after the fight? So, like, we got all excited about Mikey. Lance Pugmire, the LA Times, texted Mikey. Mikey's like, yeah, I want that fight. And then Bob says, Mikey Garcia is a worse negotiation than Trump is going to have with the North Koreans. I don't have time for negotiations. If Mikey wants to fight, let him call me. I'll give him a number, meaning a, a financial number. If it's not good, F it. I ain't negotiating. We know Mikey and Bob had a bitter divorce. We know that Bob is smart enough to know that Mikey is bad news for Lomachenko. And this is the truth, Rafe. Lomachenko is otherworldly. He's special. He's everything I just told you he was. But 135 has the potential to be a trapped division because it is very north of his natural weight. And Mikey is the kryptonite. That is trouble for Loma, and that's why we need to see the fight. That's why it's such a great fight, because you saw Linares land a flash knockdown. Mikey has the power to end the fight with that type of punch, but does he have the speed to be competitive? Your thoughts? It's interesting, because the one thing that I think Linares had that really helped keep him in this fight is that foot speed, that footwork, and that that basically is it's not as creative as Lomachenko's, and that was one of the thing the big differences in the fight. But it, I think just straight line, side to side, lateral movement, speed, he's there. Uh, and you saw he rarely got caught by the famous you know Lomachenko step outside, teleport, and and hook you move. He was all he saw it. He was you could tell he Linares trained for it. He was ready to pivot along with him every time he saw Lomachenko move in that direction. He wasn't necessarily able to punish Lomachenko when he did that, but he never really got caught with those things. And and as great as Mikey is, he doesn't have that kind of foot speed. He is uh, I would say a full step or two probably slower than Lomachenko, but he has that great ring sense, yes. great timing. And the question basically becomes, can, is that timing and that just ring smarts, that ring generalship, that, that beautiful sense of where you are at all times, plus his power, is that enough to compete, maybe beat with Vasily, Vasily Lomachenko? I mean, it's that's, possible. That's it could, I could see it go either way. You come down to, can Mikey throw enough? Can Mikey have the volume needed to win a decision if he doesn't get a, get a stoppage? And how much will his brains and technique, he has a, amazing technique. How much will that be in terms of his command of distance, in terms of maybe he doesn't have as quick a foot speed, but he can cut off the ring, can do everything textbook perfect. How much will that slow down Lomachenko or is the yeah. speed 
going to be Mikey's kryptonite the same way I'm assuming that once he lands that counter right hand, Vasily's going to go, I can't go that route anymore. That door's closed. i got to come up with a plan D and E. Son, he, he can't handle your speed, son. Oh, I he can't handle your speed. I gotta get that sound ready. I gotta have that <laughs> ready, you know? Uh, Brian, but Mikey, I, the other thing I think Mikey would do, he would use his jab, I think, more effectively than Linares did, because we thought that maybe Linares would really try to keep the fight at distance more than, than it ended up being, and, and, and Mikey's jab, I think, is, is, he can time that well enough, and it's strong enough, that may that that it would be it will be harder for Lomachenko to figure out ways to get up and down in and out and around it in, in order to do the work he needs to do. Very very true. So I don't think we will see that fight anytime soon because of Bob, and I think that it's more of a wait till next year maybe. And I give Mikey credit; he gave up his 140 belt. I think he realized against Lipinets that 140 is also becoming a ceiling for him. He wants to do business at 35 and get all the belts. So does Vasily. So maybe next year we can get it. But in the meantime, make the case. You know, I mean, that that means that Mikey may end up fighting Robert Easter, who's you know been a very Great good lightweight fight. you know for for a while. If he goes out and makes that statement against Robert Easter, then then that starts to put the public pressure really ratcheted up to to see a Mikey Garcia and Vasily Lomachenko style pound for pound who is the best style fight. But here's the potential swerve to that. It's the Manny Pacquiao discussion. We know he's coming back this summer in a potential trap fight, by the way, against Lucas Matisse in Malaysia. Is 140 a bad idea for Vasily? Not in general. I think it's a bad idea in general. But for a Manny super fight, because on the top rank side of things, that obviously is the Super Bowl to give Vasily his biggest money opportunity, his biggest commercial name, you know, pay-per-view opportunity, even against a washed Manny. We've heard Vasily say in recent interviews, I don't know 140, maybe 137 I meet him. Manny says I can cut to 140 without a problem. Is this now a bad idea from what we saw in the Linares fight for Vasily? I don't think so. I, I, Linares looked good because he was able to keep up with Lomachenko. And while I think a prime, like David Diaz, 135, Manny Pacquiao fighting Vasily Lomachenko. Now that is something, you know, we can only wet dream about, but, uh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, but, but no, at this point in his time, he just, sorry. Yeah. Cool me down real quick. Cool me down. Wow. 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 That's, that's, uh, if only I was quicker on the, uh, on the bang bang right there. That would be, we would have a good show, but I'm not. So, uh, all right. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm cool now. I'm cool. Yeah. Uh, at, at this stage in Manny's career, I just don't think he has the speed. I think that fight would look like Manny Pacquiao versus Oscar De La Hoya, yes. which was a, a brilliant passing of the torch moment. Um, but also one that was pretty, uh, actually in a good way to end a career if you have to end a career. Yeah. Oscar cut down to 47 at a bad time for him in his personal life. He was a zombie out there. If Manny's not a zombie though, I mean, certainly you're, you could sell that fight no matter what. But if Manny's not a zombie cutting to 140 or 138 or whatever, then yes, the prospect of him landing a power shot at any point in that fight would be fun. That would be a very fun fight. Unless he's just weight-drained old like Oscar was. I mean, Oscar was a zombie. He had no Make chance. that fight at 140. Why is it, why should Lomachenko be afraid? Come in at whatever weight he's comfortable at and just beat him. Like, yes. there's nothing really left to be. I, I, I'm sure they are watching those. In fact, there are... 
times a couple years ago when when the videography crew caught up with the Lomachenkos and asked, would you want to fight Manny Pacquiao? He's like, I don't really want to beat an old man. Like, And that's what it would be. It's nothing – that's nothing against Manny or his legacy. It's just where these fighters are at at this time. Um, and and again, you mentioned it. Uh, July in, in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia is no guarantee. I mean that is – and maybe if we could, we knew that Manny would be training at his best, but we know that Freddie Roach isn't there with him. We know that he has to take time in and out of the Philippine Senate. And we know that Matisse is probably going to be treating this like a huge opportunity for him. Uh, we also have no clue what the heck is going to happen in Malaysia. I mean, it's a, it's, there's, the, that whole situation is nuts, but there's no guarantee that Manny is going to win that fight. Yeah. Another hot beef injection. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, I want to play that Loma sound again when he talks about the Manny fight. If uh, if this fight, 135, if it uh, will be this fight, 135, weight category, uh, I'm ready. 135, I'm ready. 135, weight category, I am weight ready. Ca- weight, weight, weight category. Uh, of course, I've, uh, as a famous uh, boxing hipster, my favorite weight category is uh, 98 pounds. You have not seen yet. Uh, well, Sorry, that uh, turned slightly Filipino towards the end. 147 division? Yes. yes. Somebody should just <laughs> oh, come out in the ring one time and... Rip that suit off. <laughs> show everyone your S. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Just show that S. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, Ray, if I updated my pound for pound top 10 on CBS Sports this week, first time in a couple months, I'm going to run it down to you tell me my biggest hole here tell me my blinder this is not a panel discussion this is just the bc putting his mind together so talk to me about my holes here where we go that's what i'm here for that's what i do you need a you need a you need a close bro to come in and tell you where your holes are would you like to shake my hand love to shake your hand yeah shake my hand all right number one give a little push and a pull you know yeah yeah, a little little, tug little little little, little. uh lomachenko number one number two terrence crawford number three gennady golovkin Number four, Errol Spence Jr. Number five, Mikey Garcia. Stop me at any time if you want to interject. Number six, Canelo. Seven, Keith Thurman, although he's threatening to be dropped for wow. activity. Wow. Number eight, the recently uh, broken-hearted and broken up, Sriseketsor Rungvisai, who pulled out of training camp after his fiance of eight years left him. Number nine, the mon- Japanese monster, Nayoa Inui. And number ten, Oleksandr Usyk, with nice. my with my honorable mention list including Sergey Kovalev, both Charlos, Leo, Carl Frampton, uh, Gassiev, AJ, and we'll AJ. Well, yeah, I guess if you yeah. cleans out the division, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah you got to throw a heavyweight in there, make it look good, you know. It's a, it's some him, of us, some of us out there, famously had Vladimir Klitschko, you know, right near the top for oh, twenty years. God. Uh, so it's a little bit hipsterish, and I also favor the "What have you done for me lately?" I got Spence at four, I got Mikey at five. It comes down to if they were all in the mythical weight class, who beats who? Do I have any holes here? How am I looking? How am I looking here? All right, Brian. Uh, a couple. The first thing that that stuck out to me is while I am not one of the uh, sort of very dogmatic pound for pound people who who say that look, Sarisa Ketsorungvisai beat no, the reigning number one pound for pound champion Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez twice, and then beat the guy who was a pound for pound fighter himself, one. Estrada, uh, El Gallo, and and look good in all of those fights. He deserves that. They say, and, and they throw him right into number one. I'm not quite that far in the the dogma category. Um, I'm not that rigid. The eye test does mean a lot to me, and and I think that you you 
I do favor guys like Lomachenko and uh, and Terrence Crawford, who just look to be on this other whole level. Um, but eight is pretty low for Sorunga, so you got to give the man some credit, especially while at least while he's going through this terrible breakup. Yes. I mean, God, Brian, I mean, the guy's give, eating rats. Give SSR a little bit. I would say find find some way to work SSR into your top five, unless you want all kinds of really angry people coming at you in your DMs. Well, let's uh, let's just no, not forget though. Before these three fights, and these are hella great three fights, he was legitimately fighting guys making their pro debut the year before. Legitimately, three of them in a row. And I'm not saying that you strip a guy's credibility because of that, but we... Brian, he's fighting in Thailand. They like to be busy out there. You know what I mean? They like to be busy in Thailand. They fight... They, they don't They can't always... They don't always have money to bring in the big names. How busy would you like to be this year? Busy. Wow. That was Sorungasai. I mean, he likes to be busy. Um, I Yeah, the, his record was not good, but, but I think he has proven with those wins that he... He kind of – he belongs where he is. All right. Is it too soon on Ali Usek at number 10? I mean, I know you love the guy, but let's let's put our let's put our head on. And, you, and if this if this is a segue into some recent World Boxing Super I, Series news, let it let it flow. Let it flow. Absolutely. Well, look, Brian, I think that uh, the 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 back end of of any top 10 is kind of just discretionary. It, it, it's it's such an inex- the entire thing is such an inexact science. It it really has to do with what you favor, what your your own subjective views are, your observations. Uh, so, like the last three spots, I kind of think sure. Just throw in as long as it's not someone insane, you know. Like, oh, remember when Robert Guerrero was hanging oh, around at God. the back of the ring, top remember ten? When, or remember when David Avia of the Sweet Science put Robert Guerrero at number five, pound for pound, after losing to Floyd? After, um, as long as it is not something crazy, as long as there is a legitimate argument, I'm cool with it, you know. And I, I don't take pound for pound stuff so seriously I so i like him. he's looked that good he's had great wins in 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 this tournament and uh if we we want to jump into that tournament a little yeah, bit it's been disappointing well i take egregious pound for pound ranking seriously like yeah. when that guy carlos from espn deportes had nonino donare at number three after losing to rigandal when dan rafiel had vladimir klitschko at number one after floyd retired those are the type of ones where i'm like all right, we got We got to stop. We got to have a talk. Like this is just, you know, this is not allowable. It's just no. You're not. That is not permissible. That is not allowable. There's no doubt about it. But before you get into the Ali Usek news from the World Boxing Super Series, I had an Ali Usyk run-in over the weekend in New York City that I did oh. not tell you about. Are you? I am feel right now, Brian. I was tell me. Very excited to share with you. I am feel. I'm very feel. Absolutely. So I was at the Sergey Kovalev Elider Alvarez press conference at the uh, Hard Rock in Times Square. And during it, Ali Usek sneaks in and he makes himself known by just being goofy, right? Him and, uh, and Lomachenko, you, you, you fall in love with them because they're so goofy. He goofily sneaks in in his tracksuit because his manager, Egas Klamas was also there, which is Sergey's manager. And as he walks by, I'm just, I got you in the back of my mind and I'm feeling the urge and I totally pulled a Vegas Darren Barker moment. If anybody oh, remembers yes. from the rope Snapchat days that we did where I was like, Usyk, my man, Usyk. And I yelled that as this press conference is going on, he <laughs> stops, he turns around and with a giant smile, he goes, yes. Yes, it is. And it gives me the fist and then walks and it keeps going. Epic moment, Rafe. Epic. Yes, it is. It is I. I feel. I'm very feel. Oh. Very feel, Brian. I, I'm envious. Um, yeah, but I'm, 
we got it. You know, we've we've spent so much time fluffing the the World Boxing Super Series tournaments this year, especially the cruiserweights. We've we've done songs about it. We've blown LOADs about it. Oh, gross. Uh, we, we had Richard Schaefer on the show. We had him uh, on the show. It was great. Uh, but things we so so now I feel like we just have to be honest here and say that things are not looking so good in the world of the World Boxing Super Series. As the the first season of tournaments wraps up, we were looking forward to the hashtag Road to Jeddah, Gassiev Usyk. That should that was supposed to have happened already. Was that supposed to be this past weekend? Yes, I believe um, so. And, uh, and then the, the issues with George Grove's shoulder, which he threw out at the end, the final round of the Chris Eubank fight. Now, I understand, and I guess the lesson here is that these, that's the problem with these tournaments. You, you, even when everything seems to be working out the best possible way, we even, even, even when Jurgen Bramer went down, we got the fun, we got the fun step in from DJ Niki Holtzkin, the, 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 you know, the, the Dutch what, what, kickboxer. What, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, but these things, but these tournaments, they're sort of destined to hit these rough spots. And unfortunately, these, this one is hitting the rough spot right before the climax, the oh, finals, wow. man. And it's wow. tough. Um, so on the, on the super middleweight side, they're not sure if George Groves will be able to fight in early enough because of the injured shoulder and his recovery to make that fight with Callum Smith on their schedule. And so they're talking about letting Chris Eubank Jr. sub in, which takes all of the credibility out of the tournament. Yes. You had a guy get just exposed in the semifinal and you're going to let him fight for the final. I mean, get, I'd rather see like Glenn Johnson brought back from the dead and given that Miami fight. heat shorts, right? <laughs> And Lenny Bowtie's shoes. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, I, look, just I, I understand if they decide they have to, the show must go on and they go in with substitutes. But get, honestly, anybody. Try and get somebody else who hasn't already gotten beat badly in the tournament. Uh, on the on the cruiserweight side, they're having a even, even sort of stranger politically tinged problems where the road to Jeddah was, uh, was diverted. There may be a detour. It appears to be headed... Now the road to Russia, um, in Sochi, where they, where, uh, you know, of course, Murat Gassiev is, is Russian and, uh, the, the, they are rightfully very proud of him. The government wants to get involved. Well, the, the Ministry of Sport wants to get involved and make a big offer to host the final in Russia. Uh, and, and Usyk, uh, for whatever reasons, he's Ukrainian. Uh, there's some, you know, depend, I mean, you have different, different views from these different Ukrainian fighters. Sometimes, some guys like Lomachenko really, uh, does not ever get into the Russia-Ukraine politics. Usyk has been this guy who he, he seems very, very proud Ukrainian. He w used to wear his hair in that uh, traditional oh, Cossack war hairdo thing. Uh, and uh, and he said, no, I'm not fighting in Russia. If that fight happens in Russia, it will not – it is me. It will not happen there. Well, did you see the and boxing scene headline? Promoter, colon, if Usyk is injured, I'd love Bratis to face Gassiev. You can't be happy about that. I saw that too. Uh, so now that now Usyk is saying he's injured, which may it may be a Terence Crawford style injury to put that off, so they can try and make the fight in a place where both fighters are willing you. to have it, and How there's dare money. You assume that uh, Man, he should just harden up, like seriously, bang it full of quarters and get on with it. They'll be coming. Come on. I, I guess if 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 Glenn Rushton were involved, if the guys down in Jeff Horn's camp had anything to do with this, this fight would have happened in Jeddah. 
10 weeks ago. They would have had it. Actually, they would have had it immediately after Gassiev knocked out Dortico's. Um, but no, so, so Usyk is saying he's injured now and trying, and, and, and they're, I guess, in addition, they're also trying to find a location where they can get the money they need to, to do this, as well as, uh, as well as, as well as get, get Usyk in the ring. Um, and, uh, it's, it's disappointing. It looks like it might not happen. And, and Briedis as a substitute has kind of the same issues as putting Eubank Jr. in. However, it's not quite as egregious because yeah. that was a close, great fight. Um, you just, I guess then you can't call it a championship anymore. That's the thing. It's not yeah. the finals. It's the console. It's the whatever. It's the, we made the best of this that we could. It's bad. Uh. Boy, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's not. It's just not good. All right, Rafe. We have to get through some quick uh, headlines from this past weekend on that bounce card. Andrew Tabini sent washed Latif Coyote to hell via uppercut with a sixth round KO. I could not find highlights to actually view that myself, so I'm going <laughs> off a boxing scene recap. And in the main event, Tony Harrison took a split decision over Ishe Smith at junior middleweight. Ishe was dropped to a knee in round three. I don't really think Harrison is going anywhere off of this win, but to be somebody's B-side in the long run. But, you know, it was an okay bounce card, I, I think, I assume. I didn't watch it. Did you? Yeah, I, I like Tony Harrison. He's He's such a fun guy. He is a fun fighter. He is – he's flawed. We've seen why he's going to lose against the best guys. But he's still very good. He's got talent. And he's got a shot in there against pretty much anyone because he's quick and he can punch. He's dangerous early. If uh, if he happens to catch somebody, he could come up with a nice – a big upset one day. I hope he stays around long enough to get the shot. Um, I also – really, really, I just want to talk about Tony Harrison's uh, outfit that he always wears into the ring, which is fabulous. Full gold sequined. Yes. Michigan. He's from Detroit. Michigan, like, like, uh, Michigan Wolverine outfit with Fab Five written on it. I love that he's paying homage to Chris Weber, Juwan Howard, Jalen Rose, Jimmy King, Ray Jackson. Ray Jackson, yeah. All right. Whew. Gotta, gotta get that right. I love, I love the Fab Five. Remember they made they me fall Fab in love five with basketball. Do you I wanted to be Chris Weber and I appreciate the homage. Do you remember in 95 they had, <laughs> they tried the Fab Five part two? With like, uh, with like uh, Dugan Fife and uh, Marcus, uh, <laughs> T- Marcus. Uh, I mean, uh, Robert Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, it was. It was. It just didn't work. Maceo Baston. Maceo Baston. Yes, and there was the dude who played for the Clippers as well. Uh, Mo Taylor, right? Yes, Maurice Taylor. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. All right. How about that for a throwback? Hey, Rafe. Also, this weekend on HBO. Hey, this turned out to be an eye opener and a fight we thought would be a. Why is this happening? Is anyone really in Verona to see this? Jamie Munguia? Is that what we're, what we're pronouncing it? I believe it's, no, I, I, if, if it's Jaime Munguia. Jaime Munguia with a, hey guys, take notice of me, TKO4 of Saddam Ali to win the WBO junior middleweight title, the one formerly owned by Miguel Cotto. Rafe, he beat the tar out of Saddam Ali, knocked him down twice in round one. I thought the fight could have been stopped, knocked him down again. Knocked him all over the ring. He is a big, bad dude. And I know we need to mention that Ali is really a welterweight who lucked into a Kodo opportunity and give him credit, beat Wash Kodo for it. So he's already over his head, but still, and he doesn't take a punch well. We have to say those things, okay? But still, Jaime Mungia, know him now, Rafe. Holy crap, that's a breakthrough performance. Yes, uh, it was a really good performance. It was a sort of like, hi, I'm stay here, tell your parents, I'm stay here <laughs> performance from Jaime Munguia. Fantastic. 
Uh, I agree. He looked very good. It was also a fight. And look, I'm not really blaming anyone in particular for this because, like you mentioned, the way that Saddam Ali got into that fight made sense. And he chose to stay and defend that belt after he won it off of Miguel Cotto. The opportunity against Miguel Cotto was probably great for Saddam Ali's career. So it's not you don't want to feel too bad for him. But watching that fight with a, a natural welterweight in his second fight against uh, against uh, at, at 154 pounds against a humongous he looked bigger. I don't maybe it was probably just the the size comparison. He looked like he might be as big as or bigger than Jared Hurd, who himself is like an incredible Hulk sized 154 pound guy um and honestly it watching that fight even though you were impressed i was impressed with mungia's performance and i don't want to take anything away from him it was just a little bit it was ugly man i was i was getting i was getting emmanuel stewart disgust vibes i was like oh oh god no you weren't getting this yeah you weren't getting that. You were getting the other side of it. Yeah, yeah I was getting, yeah. I was getting, I was getting the noise Manny made when, when, uh, when Floyd's, uh, hit the, uh, sucker punch, if you will allow me yes. to call that against the one and only Vincent Victor Ortiz. Yes. Um, Dude, but this is I don't know. Yeah, speaking of that. Man, uh, this is nuts. Man. Me, dog. Come on. Let's get people what they want, bro. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, let's do that. Uh, so yeah, here's the thing though, yep. overall. Feel bad for Ali because all the Golden Boy people except for Behop was at the Garden for Linares, right? Like every big name. So he had like no representation there. He got sent to hell. But now we have a new player at 54. You talked about Jared Hurd as maybe a potential fight down the road. Now it's like, hey, Bob Bennett, maybe this guy Jaime Munguia could have been okay for Triple G in the end. You're, you're glad for Munguia that he didn't just go out there against Triple G and get sent to hell like Vanas did. Maybe he would have done better. But now he's in a much better spot. He's unbeaten. He's got a title at 54. But it is like, hey, Vegas, was that the right move to not sanction this guy? I don't know. Was it? Um, uh, it, I mean, that whole the, – the whole Vegas power trip was pretty transparent from the beginning. The, the Nevada Athletic Commission, what they were up to. It seemed my, – my personal read on that situation is the all of the media attention and Golovkin and Abel Sanchez going crazy about the, the clenbuterol test that Canelo had uh, put a lot of pressure and spotlight or they felt some heat uh, in, in the Nevada commission. And Bob Bennett, the, the lead commissioner uh, who has a, for, is a former FBI agent, law enforcement background, kind of got it in his head that, all right, no, no more. I'm putting my foot down, God darn it. Um, and – so, okay, we're going to suspend Canelo. We're not, we're not going to we're sanction this fight. These are the same guys who sanctioned, you know, Floyd Mayweather versus, uh, Conor McGregor, who yes. has never fought professional boxing. Uh, this is, this, it was just a power trip all the time. It didn't make sense back then. It makes less sense now. I don't really care too much about how it makes Nevada look. We know what, what we're dealing with in the, so the powers that be in boxing. They're never going to make great decisions. Definitely. Um, so, uh, I, you know, good for Mungia because I, as good as he looked, I don't think he necessarily beats, uh, Gennady Golovkin because he looked good beating, uh, Saddam Ali last night, two two nights ago. Truth be told. All right. We got to speed through some headlines. I, I don't want to not go too long, but I got to get this stuff in. Look, Oscar, speaking of Golden Boy, is now telling the media that Triple G doesn't want to fight Canelo, even though Big Red, the other Big Red, refuses to enter the VADA voluntary testing unless there's a contract. And did you see this Ring Magazine controversy? Like, we already know Ring Magazine doesn't have a soul since Golden Boy bought it. But now, shout out to Dougie Fisher for taking a stand, the editor of Ring Magazine. 
under their own policies, they're supposed to strip a ring champion when they get a failed drug test. It's under their own rules. They have come out and said, we are not stripping Canelo of the ring middleweight title. And new publisher, Stefan Friedman, was the one who made the decision. Friedman, by the way, was Oscar and Golden Boy's PR guy until he was just recently named the publisher of the ring. Like, obvious conflicting, you know, interests here. Shout out, though, to Dougie An Fisher. important landlord in the uh, boxing media yes, business as true. well. Shout out to OG Dougie Fisher for, on the ring's website, putting out a story that explained the situation and threw his own boss under the bus and said, I didn't want to do this. I was overruled. Why have rules if you're just going to break them? I know in the end, who cares if he's the ring magazine title holder or not, but this was a bad look for ring, Oscar, Canelo, and Canelo, you know, saying he won't enter Vada until there's a contract is an even worse look. Oscar now doing an Eddie Hearn and trying to spin the narrative is a triple worse look. It's just a bad look all around. I love me some Saul Canelo Alvarez. Yeah, that's great, Stephen A. But I'm kind of out on, on Big Red right now. I'm, I'm done. I, I don't care. You know, Wake me when we see the rematch. I'll go to Vegas. I'll party with you. But I, for now, I'm done. Yeah, I mean, Canelo looks bad because he's refusing to enroll in Vada and and the WBC, which has stood by him this entire time and doesn't mention that he's not enrolled in their clean boxing program looks crazy. Uh, and it's it's a bad that is honestly competitive wise. That's the worst part of this, that, that just that Canelo is saying, I only test when I'm under contract. That's the debt. Like at this point, almost every boxing fan understands that. The way today's designer performance enhancing drugs works, there are things you can use. Not saying that anyone is using. There are ways to cycle on and off PDs uh, in between fights if you're not being tested. So if there is not sort of year-round random testing, it is essentially meaningless. Um, so Canelo looks bad competitively there. The stuff about the media, I mean, we are media, so we eat this stuff up. We love it. Rah, 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 rah. The truth is, man, like – there's not that much money in covering boxing, right? There aren't, you cannot, there, of all the people who cover boxing for a living, not, it's impossible to cover honestly because no honest, straight up news source is just going to pay for boxing news. True. So everything is some level of sponsored content. Some of those agreements are more ugly and egregious than others. And some people, tr and, and, and I honestly believe that most of the writers and commentators and everybody else who's involved in covering the sport do their very best to be honest and objective and, and do their jobs the best possible way, despite the various conflicts of inflicts that, that come about when honestly, a lot of the, the things paying for boxing media are people in the boxing business. That's not how media traditionally works, but that's how this media works now. And it's going to lead to things like this. It's fun from the outside. If, you know, we don't like this guy or that guy at this place. And, and when they, when they, you know, trip over and face fall, fall on their face somewhere, we'll say, ha ha, we knew those guys were always jerks. But, you know, next week it could be us. And that's just how this business goes. Boxing and ethics don't really always mix. Yeah, great call, Eddie Hearn. Uh, and speaking it, of the man himself, well, well, latest on that. By the way, earlier today, the WBC did strip Canelo of his middleweight ranking, whatever that means. So at least they're taking a public stand. One more bit of news before we get to Eddie. And I know we're, we're going to run long today. It's just the way it is, Rafe. We got a lot to say in a short period of time, but I want to tell you, remember this really awkward soundbite ahead of the Vladimir Klitschko Anthony Joshua fight last year, the at the press conference? This USB stick. I recorded a video last week. And the outcome of the fight. My prediction, so to say. 
This stick is going to be integrated in my robe, which I'm going to wear this Saturday night, sealed. Do not ask me after the fight what is on this stick. Do not. Do not ask him about his stick, Rafe. So that was one of the most awkward things ever. I have a stick sealed in my robe right now. Oh, come on. I mean, come, you know, just, it's like. Rip that suit off. <laughs> show everyone your S. Just, yeah, all right. The stick. Show him the stick. Yeah. Gotta rip it off and show the S. <laughs> well, somebody bought this robe for charity that went to the Clisco Foundation and has uncovered the results. And for this documentary that's being filmed now a year after about Klitschko and Joshua for BBC, it has come out. And Joshua did an interview where he revealed what was on the USB stick. I always assumed it was stick picks AJ, on there. Who, of course, AJ gets to look at Vlad's stick. I mean, you I know, mean, after that, you you got to beat the man to be the man. I thought maybe there'd be Hayden nudes on there. I thought maybe there'd be stick picks something. But in the end, here's what Joshua said. Here's what was on the stick. Vladimir said, I will <laughs> gas out. I will try to knock him out. And as I come rushing in, he will catch me with a right hand and knock me clean out. Klitschko sounded like Mystic Meg because some of those predictions came true. Hey, Vlad, in the end, you almost nailed it, right? It's true. I mean, I think the gassing out happened. No, it's true. It happened almost exactly in that order. He just didn't knock him clean out. And uh, he's already said, and and Vitali has already apologized for encouraging uh, Vlad not to sort of step on the gas in that would have been the sixth round because he he knocked him down in the fifth uh, yes. or or maybe the sixth and seventh. Um, anyway, Vlad didn't stay on him and and let him get a second wind, and that was the fight. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And uh, also in the news, Vladimir told One Twelve International. He's 42 years old, by the way. Never Room 112, where players dwell. Oh, sorry. I don't speak I don't speak that. All right. uh, never say never, end quote, about an in-ring return. Rafe, I'm not going to lie. I'd pop big for Vlad Klitschko Tyson Fury, too. I would. I think that's the kind of unfinished business for Vlad if he is going to come back. Do you think, one, he will? Two, would it be for a title only? And three, do you care? Yeah, I care. I think, I mean, Klitschko showed last year that he could still fight at a really, really high level. I mean, he, you could believe that he should have finished that fight and, and due to some strategic mistakes, lost it on his own. Uh, so yeah, I want, I'd want to see that fight. And yes, I think that he left a lot on the table in terms of his performance against Tyson Fury. Now you give all credit to Fury for making Klitschko fight that way. Uh, but, I think Klitschko, looking at the way Fury has behaved and not behaved, but some of his problems and the weight gain and getting back down, Klitschko might be thinking as well, hey, this guy is not the same focused, ready Tyson Fury who was able to give me trouble and beat me a few years ago. This guy's a clown now and I might, and I'm still in better shape than he, than he is. I might be able to go in there and avenge this and, and knock him down a peg. Cause he's, you know, you could tell Klitschko that, that, that loss bothers Klitschko. Yes. Losing to, to AJ, he doesn't care at all. You know, he's there, they're rubbing each other's sticks and hugging in Wembley, oh, going back, on. shooting documentaries. I mean, this is, this is, but, but Fury, he's calling Fury a fart in the wind in his interviews. I mean, this is a big, this is something I bet I would like to see it. Shoot. Why not? I wonder if he still has that like panache. No panache. You know that's that's what I'm wondering about Vlad. I do like when Vlad calls him calls his shots. By the way, in the specific round and how it's going to happen. During the 12th rounds, I'll get him for a pizza face, and then I will knock him out with a steel hammer in the 12th. All right, Rafe. We have to get into the last bit of news before the weekend preview, and that is our boy 
the waistcoat man himself, Eddie Hearn of Matchroom Sport, did drop a bomb last week when he signed an eight-year streaming deal with the Zone. That's D-A-Z-N. You may have heard us read an ad in the past for them that covers one billion, one billion dollars over eight years. One billion dollars. Here's the quick breakdown. He will stream 16 U.S. fight cards a year, 16 in the U.K., plus four Sky Sports pay-per-views from England will also be on this app. It's aimed at American fans. Currently, you can't get this app in the States, but that will change soon. It begins in November, and the key to this deal, Rafe, is that if you average out that $1 billion over eight years, it comes down to just short of $8 million per fight card. And when you consider that a big Showtime or HBO budget for a big fight, let's say a Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia type of big Showtime fight, is around $4 million. So at minimum, he's doubling a large, and we know many HBO and Showtime cards work on a total budget for a rights fee of like $2.5 million, right? In terms of yeah. everyone on the card getting paid. This is monster news from that end, especially if he can save money, do a cheaper card once, and then use 15, 16 million for the next one. Eddie has basically said that fights in the past that have gone to die on pay-per-view, he mentioned Kovalev Ward 1 and 2, would be the perfect fight for his app because he could pay those guys the 3, 4, 5 million each to be in the fight. Rafe, I don't know what the app costs per month. But you have to say, from a financial status alone, and we saw a lot of cocky quotes from from uh, Eddie, which said he's going to change the game and it's a revolution, all that. He's You're... talking about he's like Mr. Steal Your Girl, you know? Hey, Jermel Charlo, Jermel Charlo, I'd love to make this. I'd like to do business. Deontay Wilder, what do you think? Get it to stop, stop hanging out with Shirley Winkle, Shelly Finkel. Come over, earn with Hearn. What's your thoughts on this? This could be a this. You you can't ignore this. It's at that point you pretty much can't ignore it. I can't ignore it. I also don't know what to make of it yet. It, it's, it's all abstract. It is, and it was, it's interesting that they chose to make this announcement before the zone even announced what its United States based product will be or how much it will cost. They, they started off with this and it, the whole timing of it is interesting, of course, with, uh, the zone, uh, uh, also uh, announcing the 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 signing of uh, our old uh, our old captain uh, our old skipper Mr. John Skipper yes. um you know smoke crack got his job back oh, as Chris Rock once said how uh, dare I'm sorry, you I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I had to do it bring the pain um it took a piece but, of his soul wow wow I think I should finish man I'm done I'm, done. I'm in trouble I know this sounds terrible I think you should finish all right uh yeah look let me let me but it's all so. There's so much up in the air here, and it's something interesting. I mean, we, we also saw over the weekend Matrum announced that it has re-signed, uh, that has a, it made a it made a new deal with Anthony Joshua for that was in total worth a hundred million. Three fight, three year deal, right? Or three fight deal is it? Three for worth one hundred million. I think so. I think so. Yeah. And just uh, you wonder if he is on the table for DAZN because that is a huge no, game so changer. It, it's, and, it came out and, that that Joshua's not on the table for DAZN, that he was able to make the deal per Dan Rayfield of ESPN's story without including Joshua, and also by the way without including Danny Jacobs, who has the exclusive contract with. Is him. he off the table for DAZN? Because it, I just think it would be very funny if Eddie Hearn spent like two years sort of uh, blue balling HBO and Showtime, and then just yanked. AJ out and put him on his own product. Um, that would be a, a very, a very, very 
uh, awesome power move just in terms of of seeing like a, a crazy narrative shift. But really, the thing, you know what I think this is? This is just PBC part two. We don't know. They're, they come out, PBC supposedly had hundreds of millions, all, like half a billion dollars to spend of venture capital money uh, to put huge fights on 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 broadcast TV in front of bigger audiences than ever. And in but some they ways they the did networks. that. In many other ways they didn't. And we don't know. And, and they're the details. We never know the details. We never know exactly who's making what, who's getting what. If all that entire billion dollars is guaranteed or maybe only half of it is and there's an option, there's all this stuff up in the air. And my to me, we just have to see. And like PBC – It'll come. It'll go. A lot of people will make money. I hope that fighters may do well off this deal, but it ain't going to change boxing. It's well, just a, it's it's we're still going to have boxing. It's another potential thing you have to buy, especially in the wake of already having HBO and Showtime deals, right? And then also when you consider the ESPN Plus five ninety nine app. So basically, for fans, it's it's another charge you have in that regard. So I think when this news came out, you're like, ah, oh, okay, it's another streaming app, big deal. Then you saw the money. It was an eye-opener. And then you start to think about the fighters he's going after. He basically called out Al Heyman, if you will, in, in, the, in the presentation of the press conference where he's like, championship fighters out there, if you do not have a promotional deal and you want to fight more than once a year, right? You want to fight three times a year. Come to me. It's obvious that with the exception of Mikey Garcia, who's a complete free agent, and maybe going with Dana White for all we know. He's talking about PBC guys from Keith Thurman to Spence to the Charlos. So this becomes a game changer if he can lure them because he can offer them, in theory, much more money than the PBC guys. But here's my – I have two problems with how this might work. One, Al Heyman and PBC have been very Showtime loyal, very throughout this whole process. Let's not forget, 2014 – Showtime, I thought Showtime took over the mantle from HBO in 2013. Do you remember that? Floyd came oh, over, yeah. brought all the Schaefer and PBC guys with him. They had an incredible year. 2014, Showtime laid down. It was the year of Salk or the year of Suck as the, the great column you wrote for Grantland in 2014. I encourage anybody to read, to read that. Showtime sold its soul in 2014. And guess what? After the, and they also, in the in the beginning of 2015, allowed their fighters to go on other PBC networks in hope that eventually it would build their popularity to come back to Showtime. So the original, the model of the PBC didn't work, probably because it was pay-for-play and it wasn't well-orchestrated. But I think through that, we learned that Showtime and Heyman are tight. There's a loyalty there. I don't necessarily think that these fighters are just going to leap. I don't know the role Al is going to play. Al is the key in this spot because we know Danny Jacobs just signed an HBO deal. That showed that anything's possible, right, that you can go in that direction. Danny Jacobs, you're the boy. But I don't know if all of these other players will, Rafe. That's the one interesting thing. And here's the other thing, which is also Showtime related. If you're Danny Garcia or Keith Thurman, you know that if you fight and you get two and a half, three million from Showtime, you're going to fight in front of a million people, right, for the most part? We don't, on Showtime? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Generously. Yeah. Or you have even the potential to fight on CBS if they do another, you know, big one. But on Eddie Hearn's app, what kind of subscriber base is he going to get? The WWE Network, for example, has been around for four years, and they're still only at 1.7 million subscribers when they initially thought they'd be at 4 million by this point. Where is Eddie Hearn going to be in a year where these PBC guys have to go, okay, do I want to fight in front of... 250,000 people on this Eddie Hearn app, 
or do I want to continue to become a star? I think the dilemma for the fighters is this. If you're a PBC guy, do I want – am I only about the money or am I about building my career and becoming something? Because Floyd didn't become a pay-per-view star by being off of regular TV, right? He became a pay-per-view star by being awesome on 24-7 and then beating Oscar De La Hoya. But I, I, you're, you're right. The, the, the tension between exposure and just getting the best available deal, and that's something that boxer that, that touches boxers more than maybe any other athlete besides other combat sports athletes, other fighters, where you're, there's a serious incentive to get the most money out of every fight that you're in because of the danger involved in the sport, how short careers are, and, and how anything can really happen at, on any night in the ring. So it's very hard to turn away more money, even if the opportunities for exposure may be low, lower. Um, I kind of suspect, I don't know if this is true, I don't think that Hearn and the people be- who behind DAZN, uh, which is really, uh, man, that it's DAZN thing is really oh, difficult to deal with. It looks like, uh, it looks like an old Zanga account for anyone who remembers that social network. Um, it looks, it's like one apostrophe away from being like an edgy 15 year old Korean American screen name. It is, it's just, uh, uh anyway. What, what but, did you do you know, on that site? What did you, did you, did you touch M's or V's on that site? What did you do? On what? On DAZN? No, on whatever you're referencing. This is, this is Oh, some... Zanga. Zanga. Well, Zanga was a social, a, a popular social network in the mid 2000, like mid aughts or whatever. Would you, you want jump to call on it? and type ASL question mark? Oh, that was, that was definitely AOL material. That was my, that was my chat room days back. That was way back. We're talking, we're going back to the nineties for that. Right. Um, but anyway, look. I'm talking um, about peeping skins. I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I'm talking, that's what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. All right, keep it going. Well, that's the thing. Boxers need to be touching M's because their careers are very short. Yes. And so they may just always follow the money. But what I was going to say is that I, I kind of suspect that Eddie Hearn, who has worked with Al Heyman in meaningful ways before, uh, probably has some understanding with Al about some number of his fighters who will be allowed to fight on this deal, maybe be promoted through Matchroom, uh, because they are promotional free agents. And, and I think that as long as Al gets to, you know, his, whatever he needs out of that relationship, then there's no reason why they could not also work with Eddie Hearn. And it could be good for their careers. Uh, Eddie, Eddie Hearn has done a really good job being one of the main, one of the leaders, of course, you know, his father, Barry Hearn, and it's not like he built it all himself, but They've done a really good job of of making the most of this explosion of talent and and interest in boxing in the UK, and it's it's interesting to see if if they'll be able to sort of recreate some of that here in in the USA. I feel like inherently it, it it's going to it has to work better than PBC. PBC was more in your face because they got on every primetime network, but I think that was almost they set themselves up to fail with because they weren't able to get a long term TV deal. They didn't put forth their best fights. There were things we didn't like about it. This is a little bit more off the beaten path, you have to go out of your way to sign up for the zone. So it's really only boxing fans are going to go after it, but we could see some really good fights with this kind of money floating around. And that, that, that's great. If, if you got that money out there and then you can make the best fights. Cause when we talk to people in the fight game, we talk to promoters, we talk to managers. So often we hear, look, we could do this fight. The fighters will do the fight, but the network won't pay that much for it. They don't want to spend that much on a fight right now. Uh, and, and when that's the case, that's why we get some of these mismatches that look bad. That's why, to some extent, we ended up getting Vanis Martirosian stepping in against 
Gennady Golovkin is because he was willing to fight for the the low six figure amount that that they could afford with the redu with the, all the reduced uh, you know venue fees and everything that, that the the site fee that that they were getting from and the licensing fees from HBO. So more money means more better fights, and if that works out, then great. I also just think this is like PBC, which sort of felt to me like okay, we got some. You know, boxing guys are smart. They're hustlers. They've been hu- boxing's been hustling for hundreds of years, right? And boxing promoters are you often people who are in this business generationally. It's like the circus or something. You can't get in from the outside. And if you try, they'll eat you alive. Uh, PBC felt like, all right, we got some venture capital bros on the hook for 500 mil. Let's take their money and do something with it. And when it's done, we'll find someone else, someone else's money to take. Well, <laughs> enter the zone, which apparently has backing to throw around a billion dollars. And you know what? Cool. You want to do this? We'll, we'll sell you something and you'll get some good fights out of it. You'll probably get some dumb fights out of it. It's still going to, that's why I always come back to it. It's still going to be boxing. And it's like anything else. You just jump from sort of money faucet to money faucet, making it work. Wow. Wow. Strong statements there. Don't forget that more money does equal more problems. Rafe, weekend preview time. And it starts with a showtime doubleheader, a split site. The main event is in Toronto, a good one for the light heavyweight championship of the world. Adonis Stevenson versus Badu Jack. 10.05 p.m. Eastern is your start time from the Air Canada Center in Toronto. Rafe, I like this fight. I like the guys involved in this fight. We have access. I like Mike Tyson. I like, I like Mike Tyson. Oh man, my soundboard just went out. Of, it just died. It just died. I need uh, no juice. No juice on this soundboard. I will be, I will be your Avtan del Cortese today, Brian. Thank you. Thank I will you. Throw the Brava for you. We are out of sound the rest of the way, but we do have Badu Jack the Ripper. Let's tire, hear him right now. Enjoy. <laughs> Badu, I want to start off with this idea with you. I regularly call you one of the most underrated fighters in the game because every big fight, I'm like, is Badu Jack really this good? And then you prove us wrong. Do you get the respect right now that you feel you deserve in boxing? Um, it's getting more better and better, to be honest. But I don't care about um, and people giving me respect tonight. Just give me the belt and give me the money, and I'm good. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. And, and the, and all the respect will come after that. <laughs> I don't First know. You get the money, then you get the power. That's it. The money, power, respect. There it is. That's what I'm talking about right there. And I guess, look, here's the thing. You didn't come off the bat and be like a flashy knockout artist, or you weren't this big trash talker, but you were a solid, consistent, strong boxer. What is it about you, whether it's intangibles or your skill set, that sets you apart? I mean, um, I'm always working hard. I, you know, obviously I got I got talent, but I have a great team as well. I got a I got a great promoter in Floyd Mayweather, and you know, I got one of the best trainers in Lou Deval. So I'm just blessed. Are we talking about Lou Deval, the former um, light he- light heavyweight champion? Yeah, former light heavyweight champion, the first guy who dropped Roy Jones in his prime. I remember that in New York City. I remember that the first one to drop him. Go ahead, Rick. All right, uh, Badu. Uh, I guess. You know, this, I want to talk about this fight with Adonis Stevenson and, you know, in the, the long loss of your career is it was a early knockout. We know that Adonis Stevenson is, is dangerous early. I guess, are you taking any lessons from that old fight with Derek Edwards into this one about just, just sort of waiting, out, getting, getting through those early rounds and then going to work or, or how, how are you, you know, approaching this fight? I mean, that old fight, that don't mean nothing. That was, that was an accident that happened a long time ago. And, uh, um, you know, I know, of course, you got to be careful with a guy like Adonis Stevenson, but, you know, 
people people forget that I'm the one who asked for this fight. You know, I, I've been calling him out. I've been asking for this fight for a long time. So so if I was too worried about his punching power, or whatever, I wouldn't call him out. You know, I I think he's a he's a good fighter. He's not just a puncher. He's a good boxer as well. So so he's one of the best. I want to fight the best. So that's what it's all about. You know, Adonis gets a bad rap in boxing because everyone feels he's been ducking Kovalev for years. Everyone feels he's been ducking Elider Alvarez, who was his mandatory for two years. You know, when Adonis came on the scene, it was like, wow, who's this guy? 35 out of nowhere. And we're like, we want to see him against the best. Do you think he has been committed yeah. to face the best over the last five years? Or are you on the our side of the fence where we are questioning him? Yeah, um, it's a little bit of both. You know, that with Kovalev, the last time, uh, you know, Kovala backed out uh, or his team backed out out of the purse pit. So it's always, you know, this is always uh, two sides of one story. But uh, um, he definitely hasn't fought the, the, the elite guys. So you got to give him credit. Now he's finally stepping up. Now even though he's 40. So now finally he's finding one of the best. No question about it. You put together the the wins. I mean, the the draw with DeGale, which was one of the best fights of 2017. And in a lot of ways, people look at that as a win for you because of how well you fought. Uh, what has been the key in moving up to light heavyweight? We saw you in your debut when you retired Nathan Cleverly in a statement performance. Is there anything different about your style or your approach moving up in weight here? Um, I mean, it's uh, I'm a natural light heavyweight. You know, I can even fight a cruiserweight. So. So, um, yeah, I should have moved up a long time ago. But, um, you know, everything happens for a reason, and we're here now. And uh, I feel way more better, feel stronger, more energy and everything. I was throwing 100 punches uh, around uh, when I fought cleverly, at least the last last two, three rounds. So, I mean, uh, I, I feel very strong, feel very good. Badu, what have you learned from, from having this connection with Floyd as your promoter, a, a guy who puts his arm around you publicly a lot and says, this guy, Badu Jack, is for real. What have you taken from that relationship in terms of helping you grow as a fighter? I mean, seeing him in the gym, uh, you know, how hard he works. He's one of the best fighters of our generation. You know, he, so, you know, you never, like, really, that's what, what's the problem with a lot of people in the gym. They Everybody try to fight like Floyd, you know. Nobody, it's only one Floyd, you know. But I take, some, you know, some stuff as far as training, as far as, uh, you know, he always gives me good advice. Stuff like that, I, I, I he helps me with. And, and obviously, he's doing a good job as a promoter. He's giving me all the big fights. So I'm I'm very thankful. He always got my back. Win, lose, or draw. So, so I'm very, uh, I'm very, um, what you call it, appreciative for everything he's done for my career. I'm I'm a little curious. I, I noticed last week, uh, or maybe a week before that, Badu, you you unveiled this new line of medical sub supplements, the, or not medical, but but uh, nutrition supplements, uh, the Oxy Ripper and stuff like that. Where I mean, are you? What made you get into that? Why are you? Are you just like were you were you not getting the best stuff on your own before that? You wanted to come up with something new, uh, or or you know, and just sort of I don't know where 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 the businessman side come out of you. I mean, I got I got a good business manager, Amir uh, Abdullah. He's a um, he's a kickboxing world champion, so we work great together. And we think we got to do some stuff outside of boxing as well. So, and I always wanted to create my own, uh, you know, company with supplements and stuff. So, uh, we got to test it. We got every all all the product is clean and and you know all organic, all all good stuff. So, why not uh, you know 
try my uh, create my own supplement. So we got uh, we got scientists, we got doctors, we got everybody on the team. So we did a great product, and it tastes delicious. Now, now, as a, now, is there a little bit of a conflict between uh, being a competitor and a businessman? Like, would you sell Adonis Stevenson or future opponents uh, on the benefits of of these nutrition products before they fight you, or do you not want them using it because it's just too damn good? It, it, it's all uh, legal stuff. But he could definitely, he could definitely promote it if he wants to. He can buy it. It's all good. <laughs> he can he can get his, get a hold of the Ripper if he needs it. He may get a hold of the Ripper from the right hand on Saturday night. We're gonna find that out. But Badu, we reference the one loss you had earlier in your career to Derek Edwards, and I'm curious how hard that was to bounce back from because you have made it to a point where people forget that ever happened, and a lot of guys in your spot when they're rising up and they suffer a devastating defeat, they're never the same mentally. How hard was it for you transitioning off of that fight? Well. Maybe you can answer that question. You look and see what I've done after that. So uh, it wasn't hard at all. It was like I said, it was an accident. He caught me cold in the first round. I was, I was you know, he's not a better fighter than me. He just caught me. I got caught. It's boxing. People that have been in the ring knows that stuff like that can happen in boxing. You know, so it's all about how you bounce back. And that's what I did, and became a better fighter. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's sort of, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your fight early last year against, uh, you know, against James DeGale. Um, that was one of these low key, honestly close to a fight of the year type event that, that I kind of thought you had done enough to win by the end. I thought the draw score, score scorecards were a little bit generous to, to, to DeGale. Um, and what a brutal fight that you guys were through. And, and you talk about bouncing back maybe from a loss, but also bouncing back from a really difficult physical fight like that. We've seen DeGale has not really looked like the same fighter the couple of handful of times he's fought since then. Meanwhile, you came back against Nathan Cleverly and looked as good as maybe you've ever looked. Um, how did you how did you recover from from that kind of war with James DeGale? I mean, I didn't take that much punishment. I mean, it was like, kind of like a flash knockdown, an out of balance shot. You look at it, you know, I wasn't hurt at all. But it, I caught him. The, I mean, the fight speaks for itself. Just look at it after the fight. I, no, the the body work. I feel way better against Cleverly. I look better and better for each fight. Look at him. He looked uh, he looked like shit. To be honest, <laughs> that two fights. So that that speaks for itself. I don't even have to say nothing. Just look at. Uh, uh, how we progress, and that that would tell you it really was the fight. I think that's a commercial for I was landing uh, over hundred punches more than well. I think that's a that's a infomercial right there for the Ripper Nutritional line. You know what I'm saying? That that's how we bounce back. That's how he he was taking the 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 recovery stuff. He was ready. He was ready for action, and he's going to be ready on Saturday night to close <laughs> Badu. And we appreciate your time so much. You're going into enemy territory in Canada. What can we expect from this fight? What type of fight will break out when you face off with Donna Stevenson? Um, you can, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for war, regardless of what kind of fight it is. If it's the, if it's the inside fight, if it's the outside fight, if it's the boxing fight, I've been, I've been having good sparring. I'll be ready for whatever he brings to the table. There it is. I respect him. I, I don't think he's, uh, he, he's, you know, like a regular 40 year old. I think he's like a young 40 year old and, and I expect the best of Donna Stevenson, but I'm very confident that I'm going to win this fight. We can definitely hear that in your voice. Looking forward to this, Badu. Best of luck. Thanks again for the time, buddy. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, Ray, 
if uh, you were you were kind of pushing the buttons there about the Ripper Nutrition line, you would you consider uh, not just being a, uh, a a customer but also a client? I'm not only a client, Brian. I'm the president. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, look, Bobby was a good dude, and I and I meant what I said off the top. I've picked against him in every single big fight along the way. I might do it again this fight, yet he's just solid. He's a workman. He's strong. He doesn't, you know, outside of the Derek Edwards loss, he doesn't really have a lot of holes or, or oh crap moments. He just moves product, works behind the jab, has a good right hand, and he's durable. This is a very interesting fight. And for all the crap Adonis gets, do you think this is his first legitimate fight since, since the Chad Dawson knockout? Or am I, I mean, no. let, let's be really honest here. Since one punch knocking out Chad Dawson, is this the toughest challenge he's had? It, I, I think it has a. I think you can argue that it's the toughest challenge. I don't. I would not say that his early wins that that first year after knocking out Chad Dawson, going through first Tavoris Cloud and then Tony Bellew, and looking excellent in those fights. I mean, those guys hadn't really been beaten that soundly, hadn't been hurt so bad, hadn't hadn't just been so out of sorts. I mean, Stevenson. That's one of the things about Stevenson. He's one of the top candidates for careers, what if careers, careers that you're just like, man, this, this could have been so much better. This could have, I mean, and, and I guess it also could have included losses. So I guess that's, that, that's something you have to weigh in Stevenson's favor. But just, he, he is one of the le- boxing's leading, like, wasted prime or wasted opportunity in terms of legacies, great fights, or, or very good fights that were, that we never got. But I give him credit for those early wins over, uh, Tavoris Cloud. I mean, look, it hurts to get punched in the eyeball like that, Brian. Yeah. Uh, as, 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 <laughs> as Lord Jones many? famously said, we don't have the sound to play it, but it does hurt to get punched in the eyeball like, like Adonis Stevenson did. And here's um, the true story. Since then, it's it. been garbage. And here's the, the real true story about Adonis Stevenson, right? We know he was a former pimp who went to jail, came out, came into the sport late. Emmanuel Stewart really shined him up. He won this title at 35, and it was like, oh, crap, I got to do some things with my career. He fought Cloud three months after beating Dawson and then fought Tony Bellew less than two months after that. So he was really like, let me maximize my paydays. But then it went to his head. Then we see him on social media with fur coats in sports cars. And then suddenly he's fighting Andy Fanfara, Dmitry Sakotsky, Saki Obika, Tommy Carpency, Thomas Williams Jr. I mean, it was a fun fight, but still the level of is what it is. That was his best. That was the best opponent since Bellew. And then a Fanfara rematch. Yeah, you're right. And it's just like, oh, man. So he was willing. He just wanted to get paid. It was all about them, them dollars. This is now a real fight, though, and Adonis is really 40 years old. It's tough to really know what he has left. He hasn't really looked bad at all. I mean, he got dropped by Fanfara when he gassed late in the first fight, but that's four years ago. So we don't really have much to work with, despite the fact that he's been regularly fighting two times a year since that point. It it makes it hard to handicap this fight, but we know he's got the big weapon in the left hand. We know he's deceptively fast. Not a great boxer, but can put some punches together. What do you do? You, you give me a look. What are you saying there? I think that oh well I you I just was giving you the look over the big weapon. Uh oh, all but right, all right. um He's I not think, a traditional no, I, boxer, I, but he puts punches together, right? He's, I think he's really good I, I, at his best. And I think he's made, I, I do think he looked a little slower in that Thomas Williams fight than we had seen him in the past. Uh, that ex, the explosiveness, the behind the left hand, the sort of, it comes out of nowhere and it arrives in a split second. Isn't quite there. The power still is. Um, but the, his counter punching ability in some of those early wins, those defenses against cloud and, and Bellew was, 
downright impressive. I mean, he uh, everyone likes to say because Kovalev was a more popular fighter at the time, everyone says, "Oh, Kovalev would destroy him." You don't know. Like Stevenson is gonna, was going to land punches in that fight, and that is not a good formula for people fighting against Adonis Stevenson. He's he has. He still has that one-punch power. He's still quick, even if he may have lost a little bit of that quickness. And he's I, he's slick. The guy is good. I guess it, for me, it comes down to how how much of a step, how much reflex do I think that he may have lost in these years that he spent fighting guys who don't really belong in the ring with him. And I, I, I believe it is some. I don't believe it is all and so yeah it is very hard to handicap here's what's interesting about this fight is the one guy that that did give him problems was that 2014 fight with Fanfara, where Fanfara took some damage early but do you know what he did the rest of the way he was very consistent he was durable he worked off the jab he tried to set up right hands he never got too wild he never got hit with anything too big the rest of that fight and he wore down adonis's stamina and then dropped him late Badu Jack is essentially a better version of what I just described the performance that Fanfara did. So there's a trap element that if Jack doesn't get knocked out early and this goes into the late rounds, this is what he does. He grinds you. He banks rounds through just being tough and coming forward. This could be a potentially a decision lost for Adonis if it goes that way or a late stoppage. And we've seen, especially in the last year, Especially in that DeGale fight, Badu Jack has become one of the sport's really premier body punchers. I mean, he had DeGale folded over at multiple points in that fight. And really, like the kind of body punches that I was grimacing through while watching, you know, on my Russian malware stream. Uh, so <laughs> it was going through all the ads, all of the malware, and still bringing the pain into my belly. Uh, and that is the kind of thing that can work on that stamina. The problem is you go in, you wade in through the fire to throw body shots at Adonis Stevenson. You know, that means you got to drop your hands a little. That means there may be some coming back at you. So it will be really interesting to see how that battle works out. Does he get caught by the shots that could end the fight? Or can he wear him down and maybe stop him late or, or get the decision win? I think it's going the distance, Rafe. And wow. I think it's going to be a fun fight with some action. And I have picked, legitimately have picked against Badu Jack on a span of like five or six fights. I'm talking Butte, DeGale, right? I was even questionable about Cleverly. I think even that Durrell fight, I'm like, oh, come on, this is Badu Jack. I saw him get folded up by Derek Edwards and sprawled across the canvas like a rug, like a, like a, like a bear rug in some, you know, somebody's, uh, in Rafe's dad's cottage up in New York State. I mean, like that could have been the type, you could, you could be walking right over him, you know what I mean? But no, he put it back together. I'm gonna, I'm going to step forward. This is, this is a time that BC doesn't normally do. Learn his lesson on picks. I'm going Jack majority decision win. All right. Well, so take that. I, I, yeah, take that, take that, take that. Eh, eh, eh. Diddy. Um, yes, I took that. Uh, I'm going to go the opposite direction on this. And I, I mean, it's sort of, I could see I, that, that, that way the fight working out makes a lot of sense to me. I'm still, kind of I just see talent man and when it comes down to it I think Stevenson is just way more talented and he has that punch that that it's not just he's a little bit slicker and he could maybe outbox him for a few rounds till he gets tired it's that he's gonna land stuff that's really gonna hurt Badu Jack I think and I think he's gonna knock him out early I think it's gonna wow. I, I think he's going to not that has nothing if anyone gets you know, you get caught by Stevenson he's gonna get you out of there yeah. it, at least that's the way it goes so far against Honestly, pretty bad competition, but still, I I just think he's he unless 
unless he this is the fight where we see that he is too old and all these years of of not testing himself have have hurt him in that regard they may have kept him fresh this is the question we don't know um but i, I to me i think that if we get sort of the version of, Tom, uh, of of Stevenson who beat Thomas Williams, I think that version is going to knock out Badu Jack in a similar way in three or four rounds. Oh, hey, this division is heating up. We have Kovalev, Elider, Alvarez on August 4th. We'll probably see Dimitri Bivol on the undercard. I mean, you know. Where's my man Vodzik? That's my guy, yeah, yo. Where's, yeah. I, need the, I need the Lomachenko camp to get him into a fight. Let's go, top rank. He sounds like he's a future cruiserweight, so you're really going to love him here. If the co-main oh. event split site from Oxon Hill, Maryland at that new MGM place down there is, I like the heck out of this fight. WBC featherweight champion Gary Russell Jr. against Joseph Jojo Diaz Jr., the golden boy fighter, who's really making a big step up in class. Are you on board with me and and kind of being pumped up for this? Hell yes. Hell yes. Uh, I think anytime we get to see Gary Russell in a fight that looks competitive or, or just in the ring at all because he's so, inactivity is his, you know, mortal sin as a fighter. It's great because he's so he's he really is fun. And, and I think that the that the his loss to Lomachenko or Lomachenko's win over him is aging extremely well. Uh, it is he is looking like one of the handful of fighters who didn't quit against Lomachenko, who at least made Lomachenko look like he, really he had to work to 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 win that fight uh, and and has gone on to. Not that I think that beating an old Johnny Gonzalez and Patrick Highland and Oscar Escandon are, are really <laughs> huge quality wins, but those guys are not bad fighters and they're experienced and he, you know, he bombed them all out. He destroyed they they them. did not belong in the rim with them. Yes. He's, he, he has looked dominant and I think he's on a really, really high level of talent that it's no shame that it wasn't as great as Vasily Lomachenko's talent, but He's on that. He's on the one level below that, which I think is still an amazing fighter. Uh, and, and I'm happy to see him back in the ring. I think he's going to look good again on Saturday. That loss should have broken him. Think about it. I mean, he took a beating against Lomachenko. You give him credit for hanging in there and going the distance, but he he's known as being the fastest guy in the sport. And Lomachenko just made just like you know destroyed him and humbled him that should have been the fight that broke him but you see this is a real fighter at his core like you mentioned he didn't just come back and win he came back and destroyed people he's hungry we had him on the show last year remember how angry he was when when i asked him about Vasily's hand speed against his i think you know he wants to come back and eventually get that lomachenko fight who knows if he will he's still at 126 at the moment but this is a interesting fight joseph diaz just 25 really has not faced an opponent even close to this level. That that's the key. This is a real step up fight. And I think he's, he's, I, look, if you ask me, Diaz has just been in showcase fights so yes. far in his career. And this is this I I don't know if I would want to throw just cuz he had I don't know if he has a fake belt, an interim belt, a real belt, a semi-real belt or a mandatory slot or whatever the deal is how he's getting in this fight. I think it's a big 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 risk and a big 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 step up for him. A guy who hasn't shown much power either. What's he going to do to Gary Russell? I was going to call this a step up lay down fight. You step up <laughs> and you and you see the lights, you get carried out and uh Punks jump up to get beat down. This is a Gary Russell Jr. stoppage in the mid-round because JoJo's going to put his foot on the gas and Russell's going to unload those four or five punch combinations and he's going to end this fight, right? All right, right there. Yeah, he's going to try and pressure Gary, pressure Gary Russell like he's pressured. Didn't he pressure our, our guy uh, Brian Velez? Or not is it like, whoever lost to uh, Ryan Garcia a couple weeks ago? Um, yes, Jason Velez. 
Jason Velez is I, 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 did I did I accidentally name uh, Miguel Cotto's yes, uh, right hand yes. man Brian Perez. anyway so many Brian's um I'm speaking to you Brian uh yeah I think Jojo Diaz is gonna come in try and fight his pressure pressure by you know sort of like smart pressure uh good boxing you know he's an Olympian he has some pedigree but it's just, he's not gonna be able to do this is another class and I agree with you it's gonna I be Oscar uh, doing this. I kind of What's question, that? I question why Oscar is sending him into this. I know it's a title shot, so that's why he's sending him into this. But it just feels like you can't win. But we'll see. That's why we. Uh, that's why we watch him. Rafe Showtime has one more for us this weekend from Leeds, England, on their Facebook and YouTube channels. In the late afternoon, you'll see Lee Selby defend his IBF featherweight belt against Josh Warrington. I'm not up on my UK right now. I don't know a lot about Josh Warrington. Are you? Are you? Uh, are you woken? I, I I am not yet woke to that. I'm woke to some of the uh, you know the ills of society, but not the uh, the strengths of Josh Warrington. Man, I like I, I've seen a few Selby fights. He's not bad. I don't rate him at the top uh, as one of the very best 126 pound guys. He's had the belt for a while. I'd like to see if if he gets if he's and if he is better than uh, Warrington and wins this fight. I'd like to see him step up and fight Carl Frampton. Gary Russell or Jojo Diaz if he wins this weekend or somebody else or or Abner Morris, Leo Santa Cruz, whoever wins that one. Right. Uh let's 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 make the let's let's this is time to get real here. Warrington is twenty seven, he's twenty six and zero, but only six KOs. He does have majority decision win over Kiko Martinez, he stopped Patrick Highland, and he took a decision from Hisashi Amagasa, who's like that seven foot tall oh. dude that Guillermo Rigendahl had to go life and death with in Japan on New Year's Eve that time. Oh yeah, right? That's an oh yeah right there. That's I, anything with my guy Amagasa. He that was a very fun fight, and just we will never forget the Japanese announce table just losing its mind during those knockouts. You know, oh! yeah. I, I want to see if Selby is for real in this division, though. It's got so he's got to get past Warrington. One other fight this weekend that I want to know if you care about because this is right in our gross wheelhouse on BN Sports Espanol from Durango, Mexico. The great Omar Chavez, younger brother of <laughs> Julio Cesar Jr., comes back in a 10-round middleweight bout against Jose Carlos Paz. Omar is somehow only 28 years old. I don't even know how that's possible. From Culiacan, he's 36-4-1. Do you care? I no, I didn't even know this was happening, Brian. I I I I'm I'm strictly a Julio guy, you know. I mean, I, I like to lay back on the bed, you know, try and try and keep all my checks on my person at all times, and just have a good time, you know. Try not to take too much of a beating in there, whether it's Andrews Fanfara or Canelo Alvarez. Well, I just wanted speaking of Canelo, Omar has split a pair of fights with Ramon Alvarez. By the way, I love when the when the bootleg <laughs> brothers face off. Remember that time Cotto's brother fought who did he fight? He fought uh. Canelo's brother, right? All the, I love when the bootleg yes. brothers, Pacquiao's brother fought Hatton's brother that time. Like, I love when they do this crap. And th- it sounds like a trilogy. I think if Omar Chavez can get through this, we can get that Ramon Alvarez trilogy about. Let's do it then. Imagine like the brothers in the corner as the trainers ready to throw in the towel. Like, this is great. Ramon Alvarez is only 31. I mean, he's, he's, uh, yeah. All right. Why are we still talking? Hey, Rafe, let's get out of the show. We, we touched, uh, we touched a lot of M's and, uh, special thanks to, Badu Jack the Ripper for coming on and talking about his nutrition line and setting up the stage for this Saturday's Showtime doubleheader. Should be fun. Rafe, they can subscribe to Respect Box by hitting up your Twitter account at Rafe Bugs for more information. I think you took a week off last week. I think you insulted some of our fan base, including Alex Godinez. 
Yes, Alex. Uh, Alex, let me know about it. You know, I it just, it just, I, I had some family stuff going on. I couldn't quite make it. Uh, I wanted to because it was going heading into Linares and Lomachenko. What a huge weekend! I had some good pictures of that ridiculous uh, fight poster where where Lomachenko was eating the belt for some reason. I, I thought that was funny. <laughs> I wanted to riff on that a little bit. It didn't happen, but I'm back on the horse this week. I'm back back home, back in my wheelhouse, my field house, and I'm going to be coming into your house with the Respect wow. Box newsletter. How about that little, little plug right there? And it, we hit the one-year anniversary of 2-2, two and two, McSorley's My Dad and Me, the fine, the fine personal memoir that people can still find at, at bookstores and online, correct? You got it. Amazon, bookstores, go ahead, check it out. If you like fathers and you like sons and you like beer and you are not Mark Kriegel, this book is for you. Follow us on Twitter at Rafe Bugs at B Campbell CBS at In This Corner CBS. Rafe, do you have any message for the people as we set to depart? We out. <laughs>